Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome back to The Garage. This is episode two. Clearly you didn't get enough last time, which is awesome. And today we're super excited to keep the journey going and dive into finding all those right tools uh, for retail media network innovation. Thank you so much again for joining us. We're always very appreciative of our listeners and love to be a part of your busy day. I know that you're all out there working hard. So thank you, thank you for tuning in again and uh, subscribing and liking this podcast. My name's Dan Massimino. I'm from Albertsons Media Collective, and I'm sitting here on this fine day alongside everyone's good friend and hardware store Hall of Famer, Evan Havorka. How are you today, sir? Doing well. Thank you, Dan. Excited for today's content. We're going to get a little bit into the DNA of retail and what makes retail media special. And super excited to talk to our esteemed VIP clients here from Mondelez, Ann and Steve. Yeah, normally you'd find Evan hanging out at the free sample counter at his grocery store on a day like this. But today we've got him with us to talk about, like he said, that next pillar in retail media innovation. And it's going to be all about taking inventory of what you've already got, that DNA, what sets you apart currently. And as he mentioned, we've got two guests with us today who have been friends and partners going back many, many years. Steve McGowan, who's the RVP of Omni Shopper Activation and Strategic Partnerships, that's a mouthful, at Mondelez International. And Ann Martin, who's the Director of Shopper Marketing at Mondelez International. Hello, you two. Welcome to the garage. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We're super thrilled you guys could be here. And I know, Ann, you and I have gone back a long time. Uh, so we're very excited to sit down with you a little bit and talk about all the different iterations that marketing, retail media network, shopper marketing have taken over those years. So the format, just to kind of reset our friends on the other side of the microphone, this podcast is dedicated to making our industry better, leaving it better than we found it. We're on that path to RMN Nirvana, and each show is going to build towards that that end of Nirvana, that RMN Nirvana. Uh, today, we're discussing the importance of conducting a self-inventory as a retailer. What assets do you currently have as you build and configure your retail media network and you launch, you take it out there, you iterate? What do you currently have that sets you apart? So, you know, Evan, I'd love to hear your thoughts a little bit about, you know, the journey that you've seen. And then Ann and Steve will jump with you guys too. that particular piece as retailers are jumping into this space. What do you see as those current assets that are must haves uh, as they launch retail media networks? Yeah, great handoff, Dan. It's it's assets plus scale. So I'll hit on the unique assets required. And then we'll talk a little bit about the scale. And I'd love to throw that over to our friends today, too, because scale may mean different things from an advertiser perspective versus a retailer perspective. But first and foremost, the, the value a retail media network brings to any conversation is its ability to tap into the larger retailer's asset pool, which is just a fancy way of saying, you know, the retailer has customers. It has points of sale, which are really transactional databases geographically distributed and wherever that that retailer happens to be selling things. And then ideally you have a loyalty program, which is great for many, many reasons, but most importantly for retail media, the identity graph that it generates. And so that repeat shopper in the locations where that store has has value tied to some sort of 
homogeneous ID system are the three core pieces of how a retail media network should think about getting started. And pretty obvious for those that have played in this space for a while, but I'll just paint it very clearly. When you have the repeat purchase tied to an identified user, and I'm talking online, offline, in-app, now we've got a database that can be used and leveraged for intelligent decisioning, right? Merchant data has been around forever. SKU level sales going off in different geographical locations. That's all been available. CPGs have been leveraging that for years. Loyalty programs have been around for almost as long, and these are rewarding people with discounts, coupons, special rewards. And so that side of the loyalty business is fine and healthy, but connecting the two, making sure that every transaction is tied to a known shopper as much as possible. That's the glue that then opens the door for a retail media network. Put a little scale on top of that, put some on-platform and off-platform media behind it, and now we have the foundation of a media network. Would you add to that, Anne or Steve, anything I'm missing? So, Evan, I think you said it so well, right? Like, we're utilizing assets that have been around for a long time. I think it's now changing, like, as shopper behaviors are changing, right? Like, we're using tactics, but in a different way. Shoppers are looking for easy and quick shopping. So how are we using those tactics to hit them in the right way, right? To your point, digital coupons, Dan, you said we go a ways back, right? Like think about digital coupons seven, eight years ago compared to now, right? There's so many different capabilities in the targeting piece of it, Mm -hmm. um, which people are looking for personalization, right? They don't want to be having an offer that's not relevant to them or something that they may be buying. So I think using the loyalty, the data that you have, but then also the additional capabilities with the retail media network are the key pieces there. Yeah, I just uh, just to tag on to that, I think that I think that's spot on. I think you know we know you know the key differentiator with retail media networks again versus you know some other media you know, uh, is really leveraging the data that you guys have been collecting for decades, as you mentioned, Evan, like that data is so important. So using that data to kind of be able to target certain audience segments, especially at scale, but now layer in that personalization that Amazon just kind of mentioned is really something that really excites us. Like how, how can we target those shoppers we're trying to reach at scale and deliver the right message at the right time? So how can we get them to buy, if you will, one more item in the category, one more item into their basket, how do we continue to kind of drive business for collectively for both of us? Yeah, no kidding. No surprise. You guys are pushing way past my 101 uh, kickoff into the, the the use cases, which is really the whole the whole point of this conversation. Mapping assets probably already complete at a, at the typical retailer. Knowing how those assets add value theoretically very easy to do, but putting them into practice, the things you hit on, Steve. Personalization. Well, in concept, that's easy to, to think about the architecture, think about the vendors that might help on that journey, but putting it into action within a store, a website, an app, bringing in all the other assets that the retailer and CPG have, have combined to create, which might include videos, recipes, coupons, branding, campaign strategies. That's where the hard part begins, especially if you bring a multi-channel approach to the media network, which is advisable. So that'll be where we go next. Dan, anything to add? You know, it, it, and you bring up the point of digital coupons, and that is a channel that's been around for for a long time. Before that, you know, paper coupons. Again, they're still they still have their spot in the sun. Um, the question that I've got for you, Anne, specifically, is as you've seen this this birth of retail media networks moving from the traditional mindset of shopper marketing and and, and enterprise marketing and and the different iterations before that, is there one 
maybe two channels that retailers are are missing that they currently have that they're missing out on leveraging just from your point of view on that you know i think i think it's leveraging the current assets that you guys have just in different ways right like when you think about even on-site placements where they were compared to what they are now right um even looking at off-site and having the one-click add to cart, right? Like all of those things are changing. I think it depends on the retail media network and the current capabilities. I think there's definitely some that there's areas of opportunity to continue to evolve on. Steve, do you have any thoughts on that? Are there are there areas that were outages that not we're as a, as as just us, but retailers in general when they're looking at launching their assets? Or is there something that we we currently have as retailers that we're not focused on like we should be or we're not leveraging the way we should be? I think Anne said it right, which is, uh, I think, the evolution, right? So this is, I think of this as an evolution, right? From where we were, we can kind of talk about like pre-COVID, post-COVID, right? So like from where we were, you know, five, 10 years ago to where we are now, I think the evolution has been fantastic. So if you think about kind of like the offerings that you're providing the marketplace previously to now, like, you know, personalization wasn't even a word five or 10 years ago. Like we didn't even think about that, right? So mm-hmm. um you know, the fact that we're actually talking about it, as Anne was kind of mentioning, like the fact that you can click offsite directly to cart, like that also not an, even a, not even a, in a glimmer of a baby's eyes five years ago, right? So if you think about different things, uh, the, I think what you guys have been able to do is kind of uh, collectively as an industry kind of moving everything. And I think you guys are working, if you will, a little bit off each other. Like one gets a little bit further advanced in, say, search capabilities, then, and then, then everybody catches up a little. One gets a little bit further advanced in maybe off-site or off-platform, and then the other ones catch up. So I think the competition has been really great because it's actually elevating everybody in the marketplace. Well, let's talk a little bit about how that evolution happens, right? Because there's Generation 1, which has been talked about on a couple different stages and podcasts already. Pretty basic, right? We take those assets that were listed at the top of the podcast. It's a point of sale system. It's a loyalty program. It's shoppers buying products that they love, thanks to the help of our CPG partners. That's just retail. Turning it into the things Steve mentioned and the journey to get there is what you could consider chapter two. You're, you're moving into an on-site ad placement strategy. So that can include spas, sponsored product ads, or search. And it should also include a display strategy. So usually there's banner ads, some video components, And then a rich media and promotional strategy should sit on top of that. So we're bringing in coupons, our weekly ad content, and then something inspirational, right? Like what else is that shopper doing on that retailer website? Let's just focus on on retailers. If it's grocery-based, there's going to be a need for how do I plan this birthday? How do I get inspired for my Friday recipe strategy? So that rich media helps tell that story. So it's really just manifesting those assets into ad tech that then shows up on the owned and operated properties of, of a retailer and then executing campaigns in service of the CPGs. Right. That's fairly, I think, hopefully fairly easy to understand. There's some difficult decisions for the retailer to make in terms of who they want to partner with. But in terms of first-party, consented, highly leverageable data in places where consumers are already shopping and looking at those CPG brands, it's such a beautiful little ecosystem. And we should be able to, to crush that relationship day in and day out now until, now until forever. The part that gets a little trickier, too, to add on to Stephen Ann's comments is when you leave that nest, we could call that chapter two, you're taking those assets and leaving the owned and operated. So in our case, Safeway.com, Macy's.com, whatever that flagship retail website is, eventually the inventory on there and the customers on there are going to become a limitation. 
So we want to leave the nest. We call that chapter two, going out to a, a Google or a trade desk. Certainly the social platforms come to mind, Meta, Pinterest, TikTok, and being able to take that same level of asset, again, identity, purchase behavior, and move it into those advertising opportunities on other platforms is really where retail media networks make or break it, right? That's where you can get more scale. You can start getting into a multi-channel strategy, start moving up that sales funnel. And really it's built on the, the strength and the breadth and the scale of those original assets. We're gonna get into a little bit more into fidelity, find rates, the death of the cookie here. But before we do that, it's, it's really just tying all those things together from the asset side to the strategy side that Steve hit on and then rinsing and repeating that for our CPG partners. So it's assets in action is, is what I would call chapter two. So Steve, I want to ask you, uh, and then Anne, I'd love you to tack on, if you're thinking about this, and, and Evan, you mentioned it a few times here, in taking this inventory and what those next steps are, and it's difficult for the retailer sometimes to, to focus on the future when, you're, when you've got some, some challenges with legacy assets. And Steve, when do we ditch them? When's an appropriate time to ditch legacy channels that, that, that may no longer be relevant? And, and how do you broach those conversations from a brand side or a CPG side with the retailer to say, hey, like it might be time to 86 this? I'll, I'll start at the end. You can chime in. Um, I think it's a, it's a great question. And I think, you know, at Mondelez, we try to think of the consumer or the shopper in everything we do. Like we try to put them at the center. And if you kind of use them as, if you will, the North Star, they can kind of guide you as to when it's time to kind of pivot, if you will. So I'll give you a quick little fact about Mondelez. So about five years ago, our total shop marketing spend, about 25% of that spend was spent on media or working media. The rest of it was on coupons, in-store tactics, et cetera. Fast forward to this past year, we were at 65% or 7% of our total spend is on working media about 20% of coupons and the other are called 10%, 20, whatever, in-store tactics. That shift has all been driven by what the shopper wants, right? So we followed where the shopper wants to go and, and how to most effectively, you know, reach her. So we've kind of shifted based on that. So, you know, when I think about, you know, kind of ditching the old for the new, if you will, I'm not sure if you ditched the old, but the old has got to morph to meet the new shoppers, right? So, you know, from our perspective, you know, let's, if you want to talk about media, for instance, like, so when we think about media from a monolith perspective, we kind of like, we have this rubric, which I think we've shared with you guys, and um, it helps us evaluate, you know, media in the marketplace. So we, this rubric is all about evaluating five key areas within the media perspective. So uh, one area is search, the second is display, the third is like data reporting and measurement, the fourth is around the tool, and then you know, fifth is around the, how is it integrated with, you know, marketing. So how is marketing and merchandising, you know, connected, if you will. And within each of the respective areas, we obviously go deep and we kind of evaluate red, yellow, green. And that helps us inform, like, you know, folks like you guys, we, we come back to you and we have a candid conversation. We kind of look at it and say, hey, this is working really well. Or these are opportunities. Here's what we need to get to. And we have that same conversation across the board. So, you know, kind of having that like candid conversation where you're collaborating, say, here's what we think could make things better. Uh, and then you guys look at it and say, yeah, that makes sense. Or you say, you know what, that's on the roadmap, but that's 2.0 or 3.0. Or, you know what, we think this is actually better. That conversation is how you get to a better place. So as you think about kind of the legacy assets or legacy tactics, if you will, I think about like those guys, we do the same thing with those guys as well. It's like, hey, this 
is not necessarily working for the shopper anymore. However, if you pivot in this manner, this will work for the shopper because they're on the phone all the time. And guess what? You can't reach them with a normal circular ad anymore. You got to be able to deliver a normal circular ad, but you also got to deliver it on the phone. You also got to deliver it, you know, kind of on an at-home banner. You got to deliver it in all di different manners. So, like, you got to be you got to be able to pivot to however the shopper wants you to pivot the, towards to. Man, that's quite a call to action for retail media networks based on my understanding, Steve. You're really challenging us to bring relationships that aren't traditionally part of media into the conversation. So yeah. while you're talking to multiple parts of a retailer and looking at larger national and international trends, the retailer should show up with a single strategy. If, if I'm summarizing your comments, yeah. how cool would it be to integrate a weekly ad with a coupon strategy, with a year-long merch planning strategy, and bring all that together. Absolutely, like you, you and I have talked. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. I want to, you know, I like to ask questions and push. So that's exactly what I want. Like the, the ability to kind of sit down to, together and say, here's what, here's what we think the shopper wants. Here's here's our brand and here's our assets and here's what we can bring to the table. Here's what we think, and then you guys tell us, here's what we bring to the table. Here's our strategy, what we are trying to achieve, and we sit down and say, okay. Let's put those three together. How do these three most effectively drive the business so we can drive the most incremental growth for collectively all of us in a marketplace? So, yeah, absolutely. I think that that is nirvana. Beautiful. And I don't know if I if I uh, covered everything. Uh, you may have some other stuff. No, I feel like you covered it all. I mean, Dan, you said right. Do we ditch the legacy tactics? I don't know if it's that right. Like you're going from some customers not even printing a physical circular anymore. Okay, well, how are we then using that? Kind of, There's still shoppers that are looking for the best price. So how are we using then tactics in a different way to then be communicating that same point, right? Like price and item amplification to get those price sensitive shoppers. Um, you know, I think it's evolving in a combination of like exploring new capabilities and then evolving like current ones, right? to hit those different shopper behaviors. Even looking at like shelf tags, there's been a resurgence of QR codes where I thought when I remember somebody was talking about QR codes, I'm like, who uses QR codes anymore, right? And now it's like everybody uses a QR code, but they are now part like, I think, um, you know, how many people are using phones when they're in store and they're just scanning that QR code for a digital coupon or for additional content. So. I think it's looking at some of those older tactics, but in a new way. Yeah, I think that's an awesome example because you think they pivoted their strategy, right? So they pivoted to the marketplace. So they became much more relevant than maybe they were called 10 years ago, right? So like, that's a perfect example. Hmm. So when you're when you're having those conversations then, and, and you mentioned it, Steve, where you've got, you know, the, the brand side, the, the, the CPG side, the retailer, the retailer may split into merchandise and marketing. How are you or are you able to bridge the conversations between all the different organizations or, or what would be a suggestion to do that from your side? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a challenge across the board. I think, you know, as we think about it, trying to put the shopper at the heart of everything we do, we try to think about what's the what's the most effective way to kind of reach that shopper to, to convert them. So as we think about kind of like our job or your collective job, our jobs are to figure out what's the best way to kind of move as many, if you will, you know, packages or boxes through the register, either online or offline. So if, as if that's the ultimate objective, we should then put all the resources against the most efficient way to deliver that. 
And if the most efficient way to deliver that is through retail media, we should be leaning towards that. Or if the most efficient way to do that is through trade spend, we should collectively, you know, kind of align on that. That's the best way to go. I think it's a combination of all those together, which is why I think it's so important to bring both parties together and say, hey, I think the best way to reach the shoppers and to convert them is by combining our our effective efforts together, be it you know, be it from a trade perspective or a merchandiser perspective, from a shelf perspective or promotional perspective, be it, you know, uh, be it online uh, from a digital commerce perspective, from a search or be it in-store from a, you know, big national promotion or to even in-store sampling to displays, whatever it may be, we should bring those efforts together because ultimately if our objectives are aligned way up front, you know, it's kind of going back to the, if you line objectives up front, then, you know, the the program and the tactics kind of follow through. So if we line on those objectives up front, I think we can actually kind of figure out a way to work together to make that work. Oh, that's that's uh, music to our ears. I'll, I'll throw this one your way, Ann. It's, it's a build on, on what Steve and Dan were just riffing on. But w- when I hear people talk like that, you know, merging the merch and media components of our business, but I guess it could expand beyond that, but everything the retailer owns, putting that into one magical tool, right? And bringing that to our conversations, our strategic conversations with a VIP client like you. I mean, to me, it's so inevitable. We're not, nobody's cracked that nut just yet, but we're marching towards it. I think it's, it serves a greater purpose in which, this is where I want your opinion. We all have very similar goals, which isn't always the case in media, right? Yes, retail media networks charge a margin. Yes, we have some channels that you may like more than others, but ultimately our goals are the shoppers' goals, which is come in, be inspired, be uh, pleasantly surprised by what you get from our retail experience, buy those products, expand the basket, buy new products, test new things, solve those birthday and and, uh, wedding problems with our catering. We need that to stay alive, right? That's our whole core business. Repeat shoppers who feel good about their products because they're high quality and at the price points that they care about. It's the same thing the CPG cares about, right? You want to move units to, to shoppers who love your products. You'd like to expand to new customers when appropriate, and you'd like it to be a sticky type of sale. So again, a high quality product to a high quality shopper. That's great news in terms of general industry friction, because typically there would be much larger business problems in the middle. So getting to that nirvana state, to me, it's really a partnership and a technology problem, not a business problem. So I, I feel really confident that through leadership and partnerships, we can get there. I will say coming from Target's retail media business and now being at Albertsons for two and a half years, retailers have great capacity for leveraging our assets in media, but we do not have a perfect solution for all technology integrations. So I think our challenge, our call to arms would be, hey, let's, let's get the CPG industry fired up and bring a couple VIPs in who want to drive that conversation with us because it goes beyond the retail media network. It starts with the merchants and the media and everybody else involved in the, in the end-to-end relationships. And the more strong opinions and, and strategy that a CPG brings to drive that convo, the better all of our assets at Albertsons can show up. I was shaking my head as you were saying all of that. Yes, yes, and yes. I mean, I think especially as right, we're looking into planning the next year, right? You should be having merch, media, all of the key players in those conversations. Because as you're talking about new item launches, you're talking about priority pillars, you all need to be going to market with the same strategy. If we don't have, we know based off of previous programs, If we run media and media alone, that's going to drive X result. 
if you have in-store merch media all running at the same time, you're going to get better results, right? And as you said, our goal is to continue to drive units. It's continuing to get people back in to the stores. If we're using all of those pieces together and having those conversations, we're going to have better programming and reach that shopper the way that we're anticipating. Even with like new items in that strategy, right? Like making sure that we're going to market the right way. Um, when we're talking digital, we need to make sure one, that the new item is showing up online before we promote it. So as long as we're all having those conversations with merch, with the content team, then we can also be delivering that right messaging and having that full omni-channel approach. Which is absolute music. He totally, totally couldn't have said it any better. That's that's something that you and I have worked on for years, Anne. And, and you know I come from an old coaching tree, and so talk about legacy and letting things go. But it's not rocket science. It's, no. it's building the relationship, a little bit out of store, a little bit in store, Yahtzee, right? <laughs> yeah. And then measuring it, it and making sure we can prove it all out. But, um, you know, one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you in, in that regard is you're talking about you need to be having those conversations now as you're planning for the future and have everybody in the room. When uh, when when brands are working with retailers, are they do they prefer? Uh, and then there may not be a right answer, and that's okay. But what do you guys prefer? What do brands prefer, generically speaking, working with third parties or directly with the retailer, uh, even if they're new to the RMN space? What would you what What do you think the preference is? I think it all depends on like the program objective, right, and the retail media network capabilities. So. We need to first focus on the strategy. What are we trying to accomplish and communicate? What are the appropriate vehicles for that objective? Based off of some retail media network capabilities, we'll be able to achieve those objectives right with that, with those capabilities. There could be instances where we need to bring in third parties to expand the audience or you know, some some instances it would be helpful to have an influencer. If the retail media network doesn't have influencers as a capability, then we'll look at, okay, how do we layer in some of those? But I think to a lot of this conversation, it's also about the collaboration and the partnership, right? Like as long as we're having those upfront conversations, we're planning the right way, even if it is a new retail media network, it all starts with the upfront conversation, the transparency and the collaboration. If you don't have those pieces, whatever you do and bring into execution isn't going to be what you guys were hoping you would achieve. Okay, so I'm gonna put you on the spot. I mean, I have this whole podcast, but I'm gonna put you back on the spot here <laughs> in thinking in, in thinking about that, right? The upfront conversation. Mm -hmm. The four of us have all been in those meetings where it's buzzword bingo, and they're repetitive and we're saying the same things we've said every year. You're saying the same things. We've all been in those conversations. How do we get past it? How do we break that ice and get to true collaboration and true honesty uh, and transparency? How do we do that? Someone once said, if you have to start a conversation with, to be honest, then what are you saying the rest <laughs> part? And you're laughing, Dan, because I think yeah. you know who that may be. Uh, well, <laughs> but to be honest, I, mean, it, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's true, right? Like you have to make sure that you're being upfront, right? Like we can be challenging you, but you also need to be challenging us. And if you're not having those conversations to plan, then 
neither one of us is going to get better at what we're trying to do. And I think it's having those deep, honest conversations, candid conversations first. And if you're not in a place to have those, then what can you be doing to do that? Right. Um, I think that's part of it. I think yeah. too, if I, if I can add on to that a little bit, I think there's, there's fear around, around being open. You guys know I come from a background in education and, and having those transparent and honest conversations with, with kids. I came into the retail space and into the grocery space with my hair on fire and some of the old traditional ways of doing things, you know, and like, if I'm not having fun, I will make it fun regardless of venue or appropriateness. And, and that caught some people off guard. But what that also did was create this rapport and relationship with you, with Steve, with others to where, you know, some of that, that business, businessy stuff that gets in the way is just wiped away. And then we can actually get down to the nitty gritty of, of what is it that we're trying to do together? What is that goal and objective to your point? Let's point to it and let's march to it. And yeah, challenging each other along the way is the, the output of a good relationship. Hey, hey Dan, can I chime in? Um, Please. The, I mentioned before the rubric or the, the media rubric that we kind of uh, have been evaluating retail media networks on and kind of been sharing the, the example that I, the reason I bring it up is we, we built this because we, every retail media network is kind of set up a little bit differently. They measure things a little bit differently. They have different offerings. So we kind of didn't, we use this as a way to kind of like level set for us internally. We then shared that with you guys and with other retail media networks. And honestly, as we were about to go and have those conversations, we're like, I don't know if we're going to get flogged in these meetings because there were well, a lot of those scorecards were yellow and red in, in many cases. So we, when it goes back to the kind of that honest and transparent conversation, honestly, we kind of went into those are like, we may get our butt kicked in this conversation because we're, we're not necessarily delivering the greatest set of news, but it, it actually turned out to be really, uh, you know, kind of inspiring because it was, it was more of a open conversation and it was more based on here are the facts, like, here's what we think you could disagree or not, but here's how we're evaluating. We evaluate everybody exactly the same way. So here's the facts. It actually became like, just, okay, how do we move past this? You know, it, it didn't become like a personal attack or anything. It became, okay, here's a business situation. Now let's go figure out how to fix it. So I, I think, you asked to end the question, like, how do we pass it? I think it's like once it's like, I don't want to say one step at a time or one, one place at a time, but it almost is. It's like, you got to like start the ball rolling. And that's, that was one where we try to do it at least in, in, from a Mondelez perspective, but it's also like, you know, working collaboratively with, with you guys on 12 and 24 month or 36 month, you know, plans. Like how do we get, how do we put together plans that we're lining up you know, not just over the next six months or 12 months, like how do we lay a two year plan out together? So it's like we continually build and, you know, we were at that six month plan. Now we're at 12 months, now we're at 18 months. Like how do we continue to evolve that? So I think it's just getting more and more chipping off, if you will, each, each different instances. So I think that uh, that's where I think is you, you slowly build momentum. Well, I loved your point there that you made about, you know, here's, here's how we measure it. Here's our rubric. And once you bring the numbers in, then the, the, the ego and the truth, uh, you know, is out, right? Like, yeah. it's not about what you feel. It's about the numbers you're telling us. Right. That's exactly Yeah, I love that. It creates a lot of space for data to take over the conversation and replace ego, right? right? Which, to toot our horn, we, we, we move with a co-op garden approach with our media network. We know we're 
experts in some areas and not so much in other areas. And so wearing the, the appropriate hat for the job and figuring it out day by day with, with your clients is, is one way we've achieved some early success. But it wouldn't be without the heavy investment from leading partners like Mondelez, who's invested in roles like Steve's and Ann's, and ask them to be thought leaders, not only in their assigned roles, but expanding beyond that. So that merchant media plus other conversation is how we move past that. Because the other truth of the matter is we're not alone, right? We are great that our businesses have been around for 50, 60, 70 years, and we've been doing merchant media relationships for a little less than that. But the industry we play in is evolving um, at a much faster rate. And that's including things like ID deprecation, privacy concerns, changing shopper demographics and shopper attention. And so we now need to clean up our core business. I think it's more imperative now than other than ever to get that nailed. And a 36-month plan, Steve, is, is, I think, best in the business. It opens up the door to then have bigger conversations, like what is your identity strategy for next year when Google redacts? What is your long-term plan for a social influencer across these, these growing social platforms? We can have much more intelligent long-term conversations because those things don't pivot on the six-week, four-week campaign life cycle. Those are month-long projects. They may take a quarter of testing with a, with a partner who's willing to lean in. And then we've unlocked on month six this beautiful new way to execute or this new channel that achieves our goals. So I think it's wearing the right hat at the right time, iterative improvements using data instead of ego, and then really looking beyond our four walls into what else we can bring assets, combined assets, CPG and retailer, to the evolving industry and find, find ways to dominate outside. Yeah, well, Evan, you I, said something. Oh, go ahead, Steve. I, I was just going to say, I think Evan's spot on, and I'll give you guys a little bit of shout out for the fact of, you know, right? So you're Albertsons Media Collective. You're not Retail Media Network X or whatever. You're, and you've taken an approach or you've asked for feedback, right? And you have a, you have a set group of people that you reach out to and, and continually ask for, here's, here's what we're thinking, but what do you think? What are you looking for? So that, openness to hear feedback from and so that has been very much appreciated from our side of the house because uh, that openness allows for just a building of ideas and a building of a better plan if you will so i'd say from that standpoint has been fantastic and then the other side of the house is how you can change the industry or how do we is one where you guys have been kind of kind of leading in various in some areas and then kind of involved in some other areas with you know, industry stuff, right? So the IAB, you guys have been leaned in very heavily from a measurement perspective, which we are 100% aligned with you on that, on the standardization. So like leaning in that perspective, that's another way to kind of like move, as you said, Dan, like how do we get past all the buzzwords and how do we like cut the conversation and actually start doing the work, the right work? That's another way to kind of get there is to kind of, that to me is a slower turn or that's kind of like moving the big ship Whereas the examples we, we laid, laid out before, those are like ones where you can we can actually just action ourselves. So one of the things Evan said, and you, you guys have touched on it a little bit, is we appreciate when brands are having experts put in the right position to lend their expertise. So I'm going to call on you again here. If there was one thing, a must-have, that all retail media networks need to be successful, what do you think that would be? And I'm going to start with you. I think it's collaboration. I know we talked a lot about it, but you're not going to make any changes without that collaboration. You have to have merch. You have to have the Retail Media Networks team align on how together 
what's the media, the merchandising to overall drive the category in sales. And with that comes the transparency, right? Like Daniel were saying, challenging each other. I think we've talked a lot about that, but it's crucial because as we're testing and learning, right? Like you can say, hey, this is a test and learn. This is what we're hoping to achieve. It may not always be to bright, but then how can we evolve that? And you can't have those conversations without starting with the foundation of collaboration. Steve, what do you got for me? I got uh, measurement. So consistency and incrementality measurement. So I don't want to hear about ROAS because I'm not a ROAS fan at all. I don't want to hear about impressions. I don't want to hear about click-through rate, whatever. I want to hear about what's the incrementality measurement of a program I'm doing. So we've been involved in lots of conversations around standardization, which I just kind of referenced. We just need to kind of align the, the RMNs that were kind of around how to measure, what's the appropriate measurement, what's the attribution window, what's the one, is it one-to-one -one match versus sales versus influence, like all that stuff. But that consistent measurement and, again, the focus on incrementality is for me is the, uh, that, that, would, that would be the cherry on top for me. Evan, you've been around for a minute. I'll ask you as well. What's one thing that retail media networks need to have to be successful? That wasn't a slam calling you old, by the way, that you've been around for a while. <laughs> I did. Seasoned. Season. No, I appreciate that, Dan. I have been around a little while. I think I've been in retail product development uh, in service of marketing for just about two decades now um, across uh, two big U.S. retailers. So I, I do feel there, like – For all of our listeners out there, that's 20-plus years. <laughs> <laughs> you are ever the teacher, Dan. I love it. I think it's the it's that humble approach of wearing the right hat. Uh, in the case of product, which is what I lead here at the Collective Partnerships and Innovation on product, it's always asking that question, what do you want to do next? And the more partners can lean in, in this case, Mondelez, the more we can hold hands and think about longer term solutions, not the short quarterly sales goals. And so it's humbly holding hands together to address our core goals, which ironically and luckily are very similar. 95% overlap on, on wanting the same thing. And so when we put on that humble hat, we get to show up with dominance on the things we own and control, but we might get invited to go a couple steps further, right? Big CPGs have budgets well beyond the retail media network. These are living in that national, the branding, things that we've not always been invited to play with uh, because a managed service solution doesn't make sense, uh, especially when they've got an agency of record touching potentially many international brands uh, and working on big, big things like multi-touch attribution or Super Bowl commercials, right? Retail media is going to have a hard time landing either of those two. But with an appropriate solution that is lives on a spectrum of, of applicability, I think of like modular products. Yes, we'll do managed service when it's important. We'll do hybrid when we can. But if you want to take some assets and, and give them to Mondelez or their agency or their hands-on keyboard so they can take it to the next mile in, in areas where we're not so invited, we should have that, that full spectrum of products available. But we can't build on that other side of the fence with dominance with, unless we have help and control and, and advice coming from the clients who are going to be the ultimate end users. So I'm, I'm most excited about bringing modular product design to retail media and really dropping the media side and replacing it with maybe two M's, retail media and merchandise, or just call it retail CPG Nirvana and honor all of the assets that we have to bring to the relationship and just packaging them up in safe, scalable ways for the CPG to shine brightest. I mean, our assets are our assets are are nice and they're new. But I wanted to ask you two, uh, Steve and Ann, 
with the rise of retail media networks and, and, you know, call it what you want, the evolution of shopper or whatever that, that the case may be, uh, have you guys created on your side, have you created any new assets to support retail media networks, a new data collection system, you know, new product images or anything in that vein? So we're creating assets for the digital world, right? The first priority is to ensure all assets align to the usage of the end user. So with the majority of shoppers being mobile, right, we have to make sure everything that we're developing is ready for mobile usage. I think from like, is there areas of opportunity to continue to streamline development and the delivery of those assets? Absolutely. I think we kind of always focus on the differentiated messages based on objectives or the shopper. So is it a new item or a current? Um, is it trial or buy rate? So there's an opportunity to have more brand equity messaging along with like our more pillar programs. So it's kind of finding that balance between the two. You know, I think there's still a ton of opportunity for us across all of our brands to figure out how can we streamline some of that process? What can we be doing a little bit differently? And I don't think we're there yet, but we've made a ton of progress in that area. Yeah. Steve, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I think we're on, again, on a journey here um, and we're getting better at it. I think some some things like, you know, if with 80% of online shopping trips, you know, start with search, right? So our digital content's got to be spot on, right? That's, uh, and our digital content team is really dedicated to ensuring that our products, you know, show up in the right meaningful manner. Um, it includes like, you know, product shots, you know, recipes, videos, whatever it may be, seasonally relevant content. As you think about that content, like a video can increase sales by up to 55%. So like a video, as you think about the explosion of TikTok, so the development of videos is, you know, kind of more engaging with consumers. It's more expensive, but it's more engaging and actually drives probably, it drives greater conversion. So we're constantly evaluating kind of like, the importance of driving, you know, conversion and the cost and like measuring like which are the right places where we lean in on maybe some of the more heavier content. So more videos versus some of the more static ones where maybe, maybe we're just doing like static images uh, and stuff. So we're constantly looking at the two. Uh, and I'd say we're still, like I said, on that journey of space and creating some new assets. I think we got a journey to uh, a little bit of a journey to go to get to where we want to be. But I think we're making strides in the right place. Well, I know video is expensive, so I'll, I'll cut you a deal. You send me some Oreos, and I'll video myself eating them, and you guys like <laughs> use them at your discretion. Totally fine with me. The yeah. question is, though, with Dan, how are you going to eat that Oreo? Oh, I feel like there's going to be a cookie monster infringement if I'm yeah. picturing it properly. Well, I mean, it'll probably be get dipped into my pumpkin spice latte to start, <laughs> um, but that depend is dependent on the, the time of year, I suppose. But pumpkin spice is any year. Any time of the year. <laughs> I was going to ask if you were a twist or a lick or a, or a dunker. Uh, the answer is yes. All the above. Nice. Yeah. I'll just move through. I, I'm a package. Like I don't go individual. It's a package by package decision. And Moving those yeah. units. He's moving units. Oh, I move units, <laughs> baby. Units. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about incrementality, right? Absolutely. Uh, you Talk know, about the... Go ahead. I'll, I'll just jump in there, Dan. Talk about the convergence of aligned vision, right? That inspiration <laughs> of putting those cookies into 
not necessarily even a recipe. It's uh, it's an experience of how you might uh, enjoy them with with different experiences or different people. Right. Um, but it could also be a, a full fledged Oreo cookie cheesecake recipe, which I have made more than once. That's exactly what we want to do. And so now the problem is just okay. What's our scalable video strategy? Who's going to do the content? How are we going to change that KPI so it makes sense? And then go execute. What a nice, easy way to think about the evolution of retail media. But it only happens with that core partnership, core people leaning in to to create space for that. So we've talked about journeys and taking journeys. Ours is coming to an end a bit here, but we always end our our, uh, our episodes by asking our guests a couple of questions. So I want to get your guys' thought on this. The first one being, if you could change one thing about the industry, what would it be? Anne, I'll start with you. For me, I would think, I would say quicker results. Obviously, right, like pulling all the data, the measurement takes time. But I think the quicker we can read and react and then the agility to pivot as needed is going to be crucial, right? Like you look at how much the industry has changed in the last two years. If we were waiting on results for six months, we would have lost a lot in those six months, right? So having the ability to quickly read, react, and then pivot as needed is going to be, for me, one thing that we have to change. Steve? Uh, I got a bonus for you. I got two for you, if that's all right. One would be- Absolutely, yeah, absolute bonus. Super easy. One is, I mentioned before, which is incrementality measurement. So measurement consistent, and it's all about incrementality. That's first. And that's probably closer in, right? The further out one is a little bit uh, further out, if you will, right? So, uh, and it's around wasted impressions. Um, and I've been doing some research in this space, and it's like, it's amazing the carbon emissions that are generated by digital um, media. Um, so, wasted impressions is you know environmental impact. So, for every one million, so here's a stat for you: for every one million ad impressions, it delivers one metric ton of CO2. And if you think about the number of campaigns that you run on a, on a, you guys run or we run, you know, a million impressions is nothing, right? So like, as you think about the scale, as you think about like, I think about the brands that we work on, or I think about the, across customers, I think about the brands and, you know, that we work on, one million impressions, one metric ton of CO2. And then you scale that times all the CPGs and you scale, like, it gets really big. So the stats I read is the digital marketing industry is kind of rivals the airline industry. And if you would have said that, if I would have said that up front, you would have said, you're a clown. You don't know anything you're talking about. But when you, when, when you break it down. <laughs> they would have kicked you off the episode. Right, they, well, they're probably going to just black me out anyway. But you could have like, if you think about it this way, 1 million ad impressions, 1 metric ton, 1 metric ton is crazy. So I think we're going to have to, I, I love the fact that we're moving towards more personalization and we're uh, with more personalization, you'll have less inherent, you'll have less in wasted impressions, right? So, like, we're going to move towards that less waste, if you will, and therefore less CO two emissions and less environmental negative environmental impact. So, I think that's all great, but I think that's something we got to solve as an industry or th- be thinking towards. And it's a way loftier goal than you know above my personal pay grade or whatever. But I think it's something we all got to collectively work on. If we don't have that, it t- Go ahead, Evan. It takes some iconoclast thinking to, to push the industry, though, Steve, and you guys are at the right company to help make major change. We would love to have a product with you on pushing on sustainability. You know, I'll extend that into diversity and inclusion. There's, there's a lack of representation on, on the ad tech stack and just media proliferation in general. So we, we could be bringing some altruistic goals along with some unit sale goals. And when I think of 
what it would take to do that. Talk about like limiting fraud or wasted impression. You would need to know, are you talking to the right person at the right time? And is it moving a unit? Not, is that getting clicked or is it getting an impression? Is there a leading indicator? Is there a larger macro reports telling you it's good? No, the CPG and the retailer know with certainty who an individual is when they were touched, if a SKU sale resulted. So the, the tools for efficiency live within our relationship. And that's a fun thing to think about for product expansion. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, you started earlier in the episode, you were kind of talking about the, you know, the history, if you will, of, you know, the industry and, you know, kind of some of the tactics that have been around for a long time. And, you know, should we get rid of some of those? I I, I always think about, like, this is a weird uh, deviation. So science fiction movies. So I, I love kind of like that, that genre, if you will. So Minority Report is like one of my favorite, not one of my favorite, but a movie that I always kind of go back to as, as usual. Classic. Part. It's a classic. Oh my God. So if you think about personalization, like talk about personalization at scale 20 years ago, whatever that movie came out, like it was so far ahead of its time. So if you kind of watch the different movies in that genre, uh, you can even go back to Star Trek when they actually had cell phones in the 60s or whatever, like it, it's fairly predictive. So I love kind of looking at that stuff. So. Well, the last question I'll ask you guys, and there doesn't need to be any context, doesn't need to be follow-up, but we, we mentioned it before. What are the next industry buzzwords? Because we're all playing buzzword bingo. We hear it all the time. We hear synergy. We hear alignment. What's the next in, What's the next buzzword that we should be on the lookout for? What do you think, Ann? I think AI implications. That's one we've heard. Yeah. Implications. That's great. Yeah, it's not AI in practice. It's what's the fallout good or the good fallout that this rampant adoption of AI, or at least if you have been to a conference recently, it sounds like the rampant adoption of AI. What does that all lead to? That's a great one. Right. Steve, what about you? Uh, I can't go with minority report, right? So I can't use that one. Um, <laughs> you can. Hey, I said no follow-up, no judgment either on my side. You, you did? Whatever you did. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go down my, my environmental impact. So the kind of that wasted impression, environmental impact, I think that's going to be kind of – that's going to become a hot button. Probably not – Probably not for another three years, maybe five years, but I think that's going to become a big button, a hot button across the industry. So I think that whole uh, impact on the environment is going to be a huge deal. Well, Anne and Steve, uh, we want to thank you so much for being our guests on this podcast. And, and we couldn't be more proud of our partnership with you two and continue to look to you to be industry experts, industry leads. Lead us down that path. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's thank been, you. Thank you for inviting fun. us into the uh, garage. Uh, didn't get to put on the tool belt, but really appreciate the conversation. I mean, that's on you because I know it's in there. Uh, I know you've got it there. So so feel free to snap that on the rest of the weekend if you want. Perfect. Thank you. Evan, uh, we're, we're coming to the end of our podcast here. You got any final thoughts for the good of the listeners? No, I, I think you leveraged your tools quite nicely, Steve and Ann, in helping us fix what's broken with with the retail media next evolution. So we will take that feedback to heart and take it back to our product design conversations and and see what we can build together in in, uh, the coming quarters. No, nothing else to wrap up with other than a a strong appreciation for the partnership, the thought leadership, and the overall concern and compassion for things beyond just unit sales within your company. I think that that larger altruistic vision is going to be the winning strategy for growth together. Well, you heard Evan mention it, partnerships. You can look forward to a conversation around partnerships on our next episode, which will be episode three. We're moving down that journey towards RMN Nirvana. So please, if you would, if you like what you hear, like it, subscribe to it, uh, 
follow up with any questions that you have. And thank you all for listening and tuning in to uh, The Garage with Dan and Evan. Thank you. 